Hello, and welcome to another edition of the ABI Podcast. I'm ABI resident scholar Jason Kilborn of the John Marshall Law School in Chicago. I'm joining you today for a very special podcast to talk with the Honorable Sir John Chadwick, a sitting judge of the Dubai International Financial Center Courts and one of the judges of a special tribunal set up to deal with the aftermath of the collapse of Dubai World. During his career at the British Bar, Sir John Chadwick had a heavy litigation practice, which included banking, insurance, insolvency, and commercial fraud. He was standing counsel to the UK Department of Trade and Industry from 1974 to 1980, when he was honored with appointment as Queen's Counsel. Appointed in 1991 as a British High Court judge, he sat in the Chancery Division for six years before being elevated to the Court of Appeal for England and Wales in 1997, where he dealt with civil appeals from the Commercial Court and Chancery Division. He retired from that court in November 2007, but Sir John's judicial career was far from over. In January 2008, he was appointed a Lieutenant Bailiff of the Royal Court of Guernsey, He also sits as president of the Court of Appeal of the Cayman Islands, and most importantly for our discussion today, he was appointed as a judge of the Dubai International Financial Center Courts. Thank you so much, Sir John Chadwick, for honoring us uh, by joining us on the ABI podcast. Thank you. So let's start off with with a background question. Sir John, could you please share how you became involved with the Dubai International Financial Center Courts, and especially the special Dubai World Tribunal? And what your current role is there? Uh, when I retired from the Court of Appeal in London in November 2007, uh, I was invited to join the Dubai International Financial Center Court, which was at that stage increasing the number of its judges from about two to six. Uh, I accepted that invitation and I became a judge of the Dubai International Financial Center Court in the early part of 2008. Subsequently, the Dubai government decided to set up a special tribunal to hear and decide disputes relating to the settlement of the financial position of Dubai World and I, with two other serving judges in the Dubai International Financial Center Court, were asked to be members of that tribunal. And in due course, when the tribunal was established by decree at the beginning of November 2009, uh, I was named as one of its members. And so I've been a member since then. Wonderful. Who are the other two judges who sit with you on the Dubai World Tribunal? Uh, The other two are uh, Sir Anthony Evans, who also was a former Court of Appeal judge in London and had been Chief Justice of the Dubai International Financial Centre Courts since they were established in about 2005. And The Deputy Chief Justice, Michael Wang, uh, from Singapore, were the other two who were appointed with me. You mentioned that the tribunal was set up specifically to deal with disputes arising out of the Dubai world uh, collapse a couple of years ago. 
Uh, I wonder what activity have you seen in the now nearly two-year existence of the tribunal? I, I think it's not accurate to describe it as a collapse in the sense that uh, there hasn't been a formal collapse. The tribunal, as you can see from the decree, uh, was set up to hear and decide claims made against Dubai World and its subsidiaries. Uh, it's fairly plain from the terms of the decree that it was envisaged that there might be uh, heavy claims from financial institutions who were creditors of Dubai World and its subsidiaries. And the tribunal was primarily established uh, to deal with those claims and any possible restructuring by way of voluntary arrangement that might result from those claims. Uh, in the event, uh, there hasn't been a tribunal-sponsored voluntary arrangement because, so far as I know, the Dubai world has come to terms with all its institutional creditors, and so the tribunal hasn't been called upon in that role. But in 2010, the decree was amended to include claims by the corporation as well as claims against it. And we have been dealing with a number of commercial claims, mostly relating to contractors, both claims by the by world subsidiaries against contractors and claims by contractors against Dubai World subsidiaries, and some employment claims uh, made by employees or former employees of subsidiaries. So we have been operating uh, really very like a conventional court in that respect for the last couple of years. I read a report in the press recently, Sir John, that uh, announcing that the last remaining holdout creditor had agreed to sign on to this informal restructuring arranged by Dubai World. And this report suggested that the, that your special tribunal uh, will no longer be needed. Uh, it struck me from what little I had known before that uh, reports of the demise of your tribunal had been greatly exaggerated. And it sounds as though that's true. Is, uh, is, is that true? You're, you, you certainly do have a continuing mandate, it sounds like. Well, we have a considerable number of uh, cases on stream. And my understanding would be that we would certainly... Uh, continue in being until we had disposed of all those cases. Uh, although you may uh, read that Dubai World has reached compromise with all its creditors, it is necessary to have in mind that the decree extends to all its subsidiaries as well. Uh, it's not inconceivable that we might still be called upon in that context. To answer your question, uh, I don't feel that I'm about to become redundant in the tribunal. 
I had understood that one of the most prominent subsidiaries of Dubai World uh, is this company called Nakhil, the construction company that was responsible for the world-famous Palm Jumeirah Islands, the, the islands that are shaped in the shape of a palm tree and the island resort area shaped in the, like the, like a, the globe. Uh, I had understood that many of the claims now that your tribunal was hearing were, as you said before, not only those relating against Nakhil uh, involved in the construction projects, but also claims by Nakhil collecting amounts owed to it by uh, folks who had signed on for uh, luxury resorts and, and the like. Is that uh, does that characterize properly the sorts of claims that you're hearing now? Yes, uh, the Peel and its subsidiaries have been uh, substantial users of the tribunal's service. Uh, many of the claims have, in fact, been claims between the Peel and its contractors. Uh, there are a certain number of claims by purchasers of properties which uh, that have not been delivered to them, uh, and those are ongoing. It's probably impossible to foretell, I imagine, but do you see the function of your tribunal changing or, or even perhaps expiring within the next six months, a year, perhaps some other period of time? My estimate would be that it would take a, at least another year to work through the claims that are already in the pipeline. Uh, it's impossible to tell whether there will be a call on the tribunal to oversee any form of restructuring process which still remains to be done. And it is, of course, possible that uh, because Dubai World subsidiaries will leave the group, that we will see a reduction in the number of claims coming through in the future. Uh, the short answer to your question is that I would expect there to be changes, but it's quite impossible to tell just what they're going to be. Yes, it's been widely reported, as I understand it, that Nahil, as part of this broader restructuring, will uh, will no longer be a subsidiary of Dubai World directly, but will be, I guess, owned perhaps even entirely by the government of Dubai. Uh, and if Nahil is no longer a Dubai World subsidiary, then I would imagine your tribunal uh, would be uh, dispossessed of jurisdiction to deal with claims by and against Nahil. Is that correct? Well, the jurisdiction stems from the decree which refers to Dubai World and its subsidiaries. If McKeel ceases and if McKeel Group ceases to be a subsidiary, then clearly there will be a question whether they are still within the jurisdiction. Uh, and it may be that there's a distinction between cases that are already filed and cases which have not yet been issued. Those are matters which are being carefully considered in, at this very moment. One of the most fascinating aspects for me of this Decree 57 uh, issued in 2009 was that it not only created your special tribunal, Sir John, but also created uh, a special insolvency law, which combined aspects of both UK law uh, the voluntary arrangement process that you had mentioned earlier, as well as some aspects even of U.S. Chapter 11 practice. 
uh, I had not seen, at least in Decree 57, uh, anything about what law might apply in uh, the claims process between, you know, by or against Dubai World or its subsidiaries. In these claims that you're hearing by and against Nakhil, are you applying uh, the uh, law based on the decree, or is there some other uh, United Arab Emirates law that you're applying to resolve those disputes? Well, can I, can I separate that into two parts? Please. Uh, the need for the decree uh, arose because Dubai World was itself a decree company, and there was considerable doubt as to whether it would fall within the jurisdiction of the Dubai courts uh, or the DIFC court. Indeed, there was very little reason to think that it could fall within the jurisdiction of the DIFC court. The DIFC courts already had uh, a comprehensive insolvency law based fairly closely on United Kingdom law, and it had regulations made under that law which provided for voluntary arrangements. The form that the decree takes is to require the tribunal to decide demands and claims submitted to it in accordance with the DIFC law relating to insolvency, subject to some fairly extensive amendments which are set out in the schedule to the decree. The effect of those amendments, which were plainly drafted with the assistance of experienced United States insolvency lawyers, is that the regime that would be applied if we were going down a voluntary arrangement track uh, has no direct uh, comparison with any known arrangement under either United States or English law, but has taken uh, a number of features from both. Uh, the result is that it is, a f in effect, a freestanding scheme incorporating what was plainly thought to be the more desirable and usable features from both sides of the Atlantic. In relation to other types of claim, contractual claims, for example, uh, we are required to apply the legislation in force in the Emirate, uh, commercial custom, and principles of justice and rules of righteousness and equity, and I'm quoting from the relevant article. Given that most of the Dubai world subsidiaries were operating within the Emirate of Dubai, but not within the DIFC, a lot of the disputes that come before us fall to be determined under the law of the Emirate of Dubai, that is the, essentially the Dubai Civil Code. But inevitably, uh, 
that is tempered by reference to commercial custom and wider principles. But we do indeed have to apply provisions of the Dubai Civil Code from time to time. That's very interesting. Have you encountered cases where the uh, commercial practice or broader principles, as you put it, would include uh, something from Islamic law, Sharia rules or something of that nature? We haven't yet had a case which turned on the application of Sharia law. But it certainly could arise, particularly in a banking context. Uh, We do have cited to us and do apply from time to time uh, principles under the UAE Civil Code relating to contractual claims, um, principles which are similar to, but not the same as, the principles one would be familiar with under the common law, either in the United Kingdom or in the United States. When you get down to looking at the legislation, it turns out not to be all that different in practice. Fascinating. So currently, as I understand it, Decree 57 applies only, as you suggested, to Dubai World uh, and Dubai, Dubai World-related entities. Do you see the possibility of an extended application of Decree 57 to other business insolvencies in Dubai, perhaps influencing the development of a new and improved DIFC insolvency code? It's very difficult to speculate. Uh, I wouldn't be altogether surprised if we were called upon to apply the uh, insolvency provisions in the decree, and it was found that they worked well. I wouldn't be altogether surprised to find that there was a similar uh, decree in relation to international companies carrying on business in the Emirate. But uh, that is way outside uh, my pay band, and I don't <laughs> know at all whether that would happen or not. I noticed this morning on the website of the tribunal that you have issued new rules for uh, the rules to be applied by your tribunal in proceedings to be effective in October of this year. And I had understood that the DIFC courts had issued two requests for public consultation concerning the rules for the DIFC courts, perhaps more broadly. Uh, That certainly demonstrates a cutting-edge approach by the DIFC courts and the tribunal. What is the goal for that, or at least what was the goal for that public consultation request? And how much uh, have these these public comments been taken into consideration in developing the final rules? Well, the DIFC courts issued its own rules uh, from the outset of its establishment and uh, jurisdiction. Uh, Those were closely mirrored on, but not identical with, uh, the rules which were applied in the commercial court in London, which was probably the nearest model to what we thought we were then doing. The tribunal, when it was established, was required under Decree 57 to apply the DIFC court rules until some other rules replaced them. The D 
Dubai World Tribunal rules, which have recently been published, are really um, a translation of the DIFC court rules into the tribunal's uh, jurisdiction. So, to give a very you will find references to tribunal instead of references to court. The consultation process with the DIFC rules, which will itself feed into the tribunal rules, uh, was introduced after we'd had about two or three years of experience with the DIFC rules. Um, there was quite a wide consultation process, and it produced a lot of helpful comment, which has been incorporated. In particular, a gap in the previously existing DIFC rules was that they didn't deal with insolvency proceedings. Uh, the reason for that was that they were modeled on the English Commercial Court rules, uh, which don't deal with insolvency proceedings because in them there's a separate set of insolvency rules. As a result of that consultation, we now have a part, uh, a whole section of the DIFC rules, which is particularly directed to insolvency proceedings, and those would be applied in the tribunal. But the, you ask, uh, what did the consultation produce? It produced a lot of very helpful feedback from the uh, numerous international firms which have offices in this Emirate and in the DIFC, and much of that was taken into account in producing the revised version. One last question, Sir John. Uh, how has your past uh, illustrious career experience helped you to prepare to serve on the tribunal? And has your experience on the tribunal differed in some substantial respect from what you'd seen before, or has it been largely the same? Well, a lot of my background was involved in insolvency and related issues. So uh, I think I was probably brought onto the tribunal uh, in order to provide uh, a degree of experience in the insolvency field uh, in practice, a lot of my work on the tribunal has been much closer to commercial contract than pure insolvency. And uh, I have been faced with claims unlike those that I had experienced before. Uh, but the experience of sitting as a judge, listening to argument, attempting to distill what the issues actually are, and then making up my mind about them, is something that I have found useful. Of course. Well, that's all the time we have, unfortunately. Thank you so much, Sir John, for taking time out of your schedule to share information with us about uh, a very interesting development halfway around the world. And I thought it's been very nice to talk to you, Mr. Gilman. You can listen to or download more than 100 podcasts from our website, abi.org, or also from iTunes. Until next time, then, this is Jason Kilborn saying good day.